Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Customer loyalty, hard thing to come by these days. Now that the Internet gives you the ability to comparison shop for just about anything, younger people just reach for what's on sale or what can create the most exciting experience. Those choices are roiling the whole market. I think a lot of investors fail to understand their implications, especially on these big rotation days like we've been having. A day like today, where the Dow ultimately dipped 109 points after being pretty strong for a while. S&P declined 0.37%. NASDAQ dropped only 0.19% for those who have been struggling with that. You know, it didn't used to be this way. In the old days, children bought the same brands that their parents had bought. To deviate was to disobey or question the judgment of your elders. That was a big no-no. It sure made stock picking easy, didn't it? I mean, whoever had brand loyalty won. Those were the stocks you wanted to buy. Those were the days. Now it's the absolute opposite. Now nothing's etched in stone. And consumers, well, they often see big brands as rip-offs. Sell, 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 sell. Of course, some of us are throwbacks. <laughs> I'm a throwback. I mean, look, I use Old Spice deodorant because my grandfather used Old Spice. I, I shave with Gillette because Pop liked Gillette. I got an American Express card when I finished school because well, my father told me that's what you had. Uh, 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 that's what you're working toward. I use Heinz ketchup because my mom said that was the only good ketchup. I buy Golden's mustard because what do I know? It was on the table. Need a prescription filled? You went to Marv at the local drugstore. Marv, who always addressed you by name would tell you whether it was okay. You would also ask how you're doing. Like, how's your mom doing? You wanted chocolate? Well, that was Hershey's. Banks? I opened a account at Western Savings because that's where my parents banked. Cars? I bought a Ford, Ford Fairmont, when I graduated from college because my father drove Fords. For ages, this is how everyone shopped, and it's how you were invested. But now it's all out the window. The foods I like? They've got too many preservatives. The deodorant I like? Too many chemicals. A shave? Dollar Shave sends the stuff to my house. The credit card I signed up for, are you kidding me? PayPal. My local drugstore wiped out years ago, replaced by a Walgreens where they don't know me from a hole in the wall. And even though I go there every day, I need to beg for medicines if the doctor forgets to update my prescription. They treat me like an ignorant, alien, pathetic mendicant. And I pay them a fortune. But that's okay. What am I going to do? Go to CVS? The only two games. Two games in town. Candy? We got to buy what the local guy is making because you don't want to buy the man's chocolate, the man being Hershey's. And most of the things we purchase, my generation, well, we probably shopped at a couple of places. We browsed the mall for a bargain, went in and out of stores, and then found out what we wanted. Hardware? Hey, Sears had everything. 
We checked the circulars in the weekend papers for deals. Sunday morning, we flipped through them. In fact, at one of the more pathetic points in my life, of which there are multiple ones, I stuffed those inserts from 11 to 2 a.m. on Saturday. It was my fault. How else could you afford to take a girl to hot shops in the movies? Now we search on Google or buy on Amazon. Whatever's cheapest is fine with us. It's 24 bucks for two at the movies. That's three months worth of Netflix. Why even bother a car? I mean, we got let alone afford. Ain't you people ever heard of Uber or Lyft? In this environment, unless a brand has enough cachet that it's worth posing with on Instagram, remember, these are the Instarados I keep talking about, it becomes very difficult to value all sorts of companies. That's why we spend a huge amount of time trying to figure out what certain stocks are worth as this next generation takes over, which is a lot more people than we are. So what does have customer loyalty these days? Hey, why do we like certain stocks? Customer loyalty. First things first. Who's got it? How about Amazon? Prime. Facebook. Myself. Alphabet's Google. They don't even let you do fifth grade homework with it anymore. These have become integral to what we do, to what we know, and who we are, despite how the stock market has been judging them of late and has decided, well, they're all washed up, right? I mean, sell, 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 for good measure. All three companies are really just repositories of data powered by artificial intelligence and search algorithms. And in the case of Amazon and Google or your own creativity, in the case of Facebook. In fact, you could argue that these companies are just big data farmers filled with what you tell them to be filled with. Sure, each has a quirk. I mean, Amazon's got to find a way to deliver goods to you, and they've created a major web service that's become the bedrock of the cloud. Alphabet also has billions of, do- uh, of hours of uh, programming YouTube as well as a cloud business of its own that's growing pretty rapidly. Facebook, in many ways, has the best setup. They do nothing. They provide your platform. You got to do all the work. You do all the copy. Wow, man, I worked at a newspaper and I got, we had to write it, and we gave it away. Now you have to write it, and they profit from it. That's why FANG, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, well, if I stretch the A, Apple, Netflix, and Google have such staying power. Now, everybody's really eager to dump these stocks. They all hate them. They're out of favor, right? At least, you know, until today's meager tech rebound. The sellers will come back tomorrow because it's like, hey, you know, who I've had enough of fact. Oh, good for you. You've had enough of the stocks. How about the companies? You know, those are companies. They're not just fangs. Now, you may be calling or texting people to tell them that Apple stock is on its last legs. It's all washed up. Uh, but you use an iPhone to do it. And Apple has its own ecosystem. You pay them every month. Do you even look? Have you even looked at that bill? If you do, man, you're a loser. Even when people turn on the stock, they won't turn on the product. It's got brand loyalty. It's kind of the only thing that's got brand loyalty. Now, everything else. I don't want to be too generalizing, but most of what's worked in tech in recent years involves systems that get you to Google or Amazon or Facebook or Apple or Netflix or make them work faster and smoother and better or allow you to choose which one is best for your business or your products, including entertainment. That's tech circa 2017. Now, you may want to throw that away. And God love you. Go ahead. Go buy all the Colgate you want. You know what? That's terrific. Just go do it, okay? Do me a huge favor and buy Clorox. Do that. I like Clorox. I don't drink it. I like it. Makes your clothes cleaner, except for if you spill on this, it's got to throw the shirt away. Of course, there are whole industries devoted to the consumer. It's not like retail suddenly ceased to exist. But these companies are almost all threatened by the lack of brand loyalty. And at a certain point, national chains start feeling indistinguishable from each other. If I put you in a Lowe's, would you know whether you're in a Lowe's or Home Depot? A Dollar Tree versus Dollar General? Would you know if you're wearing Nikes versus Adidas anymore? You got the picture. 
Now, into this void, in this boring, humdrum, and yes, man, I don't know where I am on this one, but lonely world, like I'm like a psychiatrist or something, million, millennials have started suddenly to embrace things that create experiences so they can document their lives, so that they like can be humans and they can do it on Facebook or they do it on Instagram or they do it on Twitter. Hey, they started doing it on Snap. You see that stock? That's how people feel like, oh, Snap's up a dollar. They must be using it. Cruise lines make tremendous backdrops. So kids go on Carnival. They go on Norwegian. They go on Royal Caribbean. Airlines take you where you need to go to document your vacations with photos. Anything that makes you look younger is also part of the package. Look, I know I'm oversimplifying here, but I think the homogenization is pretty obvious. The banks trade together because they're beholden to the Fed. Well, it's not like Western savings. I mean, do you really bank at the bank because your parents bank there? Wow, I really got to open an account at City because, man, my folks love City. Not. Housing trades together because they're holding the mortgage rates. You see toll brothers come down, they'll all come down. Uh, materials trade together because they're all hostage to China. Healthcare trades together because they're bound by an ETF. This is why so many professionals just say go buy an index fund. It's too hard to pick individual companies. I come back and say, no, it isn't. I, I don't want you to get away from index funds. Those are fabulous. I love index funds. I love it. That way I don't have to be attacked by everybody who loves index funds. I, I love them. They are stipulate. But the mores and methods of the next generation are not unfathomable. They like pets. That's Idex. They like protein. That's Tyson Foods. They like restaurants. That's Yelp. They like trips. That's Expedia. Again, massive overgeneralization, but this is what happens. The commonality, here we go. What is it? It's the stocks they've been throwing away because they're too expensive. Facebook. Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Alphabet. Should I just talk about Union Pacific? Well, you know what? You should just like buy all the Union Pacific because like, uh, well, it's Union Pacific. It's not Norfolk Southern. Now, it's why we keep coming back to these stocks. It's not because like we're bored. It's because that's what the younger generation uses. It's not because we're hacks that don't know any better. It's because it's what's worth something. The bottom line, if you're looking for long-term themes you can fall back on when the market's unsettled, remember that the baby boomers no longer rule the earth. The millennials are inheriting it as we speak. And the handful of companies that they like, and they really only like a handful, are the only ones that really benefit from any kind of brand loyalty here. That's going to be the story for years to come. Get used to it. And if you want to be on the right side of it, well, I say you better do it now or else. Why don't we go to Chuck in Ohio, please, Chuck? Hi. Chuck, what's up? I want to know if uh, Arconic would be a good buy and uh, if they're going to, Honeywell is going to buy them. All I right, think my, it's a my great Chapel move. Trust owns it. Uh, I, I did postulate that in a recent deal economy thing that Honeywell, which is splitting into two, remember, Honeywell's going aerospace and the non-aerospace. They want to bulk up on the aerospace. Arconic is the only one left now that, now that, that Rockwell Collins is being bought by United Technologies. So the answer is two down, ten up, I believe. Let's go to Peter in Connecticut, please, Peter. Uh, hello, Jim. You bet. Um, 20 years ago, we did some contracting work for a company called Colpart. I like their style, bought their stock, and haven't stopped since. Willis Johnson is smart, hardworking, loves his business, and it's faith-based. What do you think about Colpart? You know, boy, this is a stock that we recommended at the, in maybe the first or second year of what we were doing. And you know what? I know it's moved up a lot, but I'm still on board. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, why don't we go to all... 
August in New York? August? I have the love yeah, August. Jim, how in you New doing? York. Uh, big boo out to you from New York. Okay. Okay. Uh, my question is about Carmax, ticker symbol KMX. I've been tracking this company for about really 10 years since I heard about Warren Buffett possibly getting involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a. That was a mis uh, that was a miscommunication that right. was really Geico that got involved with them, uh, but also two years ago it was said that he was going to possibly uh, buy them out instead of buying I think uh, some company Van Nuyl N U Y L. Yeah, no, he uh, did buy it- a big one because um, he likes the auto dealer business and so do I. Now there's a boutique outfit called M Science and it mentioned the firm cautiously and that crushed the stock. My take. I like your thinking. I would buy, if I wanted to have a full position of, say, 300 shares, I would buy my first quarter tomorrow and then build down. I think it's an excellent company doing excellent things. Right? The younger generation holds the key to your investment needs. They are the bedrock of this age. That's why we focus on this fang, not because the stocks go higher, because when they start going down, then you say, oh, I got to sell them because the stocks are going lower. They're real companies. They're the bedrock of what Wall Street and individuals and millennials care about. Man, money tonight. Cloud, big data, machine learning. Look, I'll spare you the buzzwords. They're all big trends, part of FANG. But could worries about tech and the tax code impact their profits? I'm going to speak with the CEO of a company behind the data center real estate to understand whether this game and trend is all over. Then Facebook, Apple, Netflix, three big stocks that have all seen big pullbacks. I'm going to tell you how to evaluate them to tell you whether you think that, well, let's put it this way. At least you know how we evaluate them. And it's up to you to figure out whether you want to play. I'm going to find also the charts on these stocks. I'm Fangaroonie McFaddy tonight. And who says this isn't the most interactive show on television? Last week, a caller asked me about Alaric's. Tonight, got the CEO. Find out more about his business. Stick with Fang. Oh, let it come down. Go ahead. Doesn't hurt me. Stick with Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Sooner or later, rotations always come to an end. Everything connected to the hottest trends in tech sold off hard yesterday. Not because anything's really wrong with these companies, but because the Senate's passage of the tax bill suddenly made a bunch of other sectors, mostly domestic players like the retailers and restaurants and banks, seem a lot more attractive. But the themes that were fabulous a week ago remain fabulous today. And sooner or later, they'll come back into vogue on the Wall Street fashion show. They always do. Take Cyrus One, which is symbol C-O-N-E for all you home gamers. It's a real estate investment trust that provides its customers with mission-critical data center facilities. Basically, it's a play on these massive server farms. And given the tremendous growth of the cloud, I think that the long-term story here is very much intact. But Cyrus One stock tumbled 6% yesterday. It's all part of this rotation. And even though it bounced a bit today... I have to wonder if you're getting an incredible deal here, especially since the company's latest quarter was pretty darn strong. And we've seen that's a game-changing partnership with GDS, the big Chinese data center firm. So let's take a closer look with Gary Wotazic. He is the president and CEO of Cyrus One. Find out more about how the company's doing where it's headed. Gary, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Thank Thanks. you. Have a Thanks seat. Thanks for having me back. Right, Gary, one of the reasons why we've had this sell-off is a belief 
that somehow the cloud and data centers, they've peaked. That there's really yeah. not going to be a need for any more and that we're about as far as we've gotten. You would have a better handle on that than anyone. True That's or right. false? False. Okay. Yeah. Tell me why. Uh, you know, if you just look this quarter, every, every single company, whether it was Amazon, Microsoft, Oracle, Salesforce, everyone exceeded their, uh, their expectations for the quarter, and we're a derivative of that space. So, right. so it's not slowing down. You know, we see this, as I mentioned before, in the early stages of a trend that's going to go on for a decade. And the verticals are all good and the geographies are all good. Absolutely. Yeah, we had one of our strongest uh, sales bookings quarter ever in terms of the number of different industry verticals that we sold through to geographies and, mm -hmm. and closed five new Fortune 1000 companies this, uh, this quarter, which is one of the strongest we've ever had. As big as it is in the U.S., uh, the opportunity. China, which you just did with this GDS deal, is remarkable in that you're talking about it being almost no penetration in the cloud in China yet. Oh, it's, you know, you, you, you have the fangs here, they got yes. the tabs there, right? Okay. So between Tencent, Alibaba, and uh, Baidu, they kind of dominate that yeah. space. GDS is the primary provider to all of those companies. So, so while our business is growing really quick, mm. GDS is, is the fastest growing company in the world right now. And you know, the, the nascency of the Chinese market is really just you know, the, first, the first inning there. So. What, what I thought was interesting was that there's cross-pollination. That's uh, right. We get, do work there, they do work here, and you're at the fulcrum of yeah. it. Yeah, so I, I met uh, William, the CEO, last year when he IPO'd, and uh, I met him and, and Dan, the CFO, over the last year. And uh, we had several meetings, and we realized that we were basically the same company. The way we engage our customers, that we sell to them, you know, we have a dominant position in cloud like they do, and we thought there was an opportunity to work together. And we bought an 8% stake in them, and it's up 60% since we, uh, since we purchased this. Now, not, can you just bad. hold on to it? We have found yeah. that some of the Chinese companies, uh, we wish that we had people sell them, or is this mm -hmm. one you just want to own long term? Yeah. We, want to, we did it strategically because okay. of the bigger opportunity to help their customers grow into the U.S. You know, you had Jack Ma on right. earlier today. Big ambitions yes. globally. Uh, same thing with our cloud customers. They want to expand in China. So both of our companies are trying to help each of our respective companies or customers grow in each other's countries. Now, you were real estate constrained the previous time we talked. Uh, you've been able to put up enough property to be able to make it so that you can uh, continue to uh, gain both gain share and also yeah. increase rent, right? Yeah, we, we were basically sold out in the four you know, leading markets that we had from about the fourth quarter of last year. So this last quarter, we brought on you know, close to 800,000 square feet of capacity right. in, the, in the biggest markets that we have. So we're heading into the year, into 18, with a really strong position. Lots of inventory available. We've got some more coming online, so we Can feel good about it. Why would there be a perception among people when you see these rotations that, that we're further along and that perhaps everybody who's on the cloud is on the cloud? Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think it's really just a lack of understanding. You know, okay. the, you know, the, 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 the enterprise market is about a trillion dollar market. Right. Cloud is maybe 40 billion of that. So it's a 4%, 5% penetration. It's going to get up to 60 or 70 over the next decade. And I don't think people realize, you know, how early we are in this, uh, in this outsourcing trend. Okay, last question. What do we do about security? How should, how, where should we be? How much time do you spend on it? And how much money do you have to spend on it? Uh, it? It's becoming a much, much bigger issue. I mean, outside of reliability, you know, the, the, all these facilities always need to be up and running. Security is the biggest issue. We spend a lot of time and effort making sure that all the physical security that we put up, because we don't really touch the logical security, right. um, is, is basically, you know, up to speed. So biometric scanners, you know, physical perimeters, you know, armed security guards, that sort of thing. That's what we're providing to our customers. Well, look, you got a great quote, but I'm, I'm glad you cleared that up. I mean, you know, I've just, I've heard too many people in the last yeah. 40 hours say, Jim, the reason why we're having rotation is because it's done. Yeah. That is silly. No, you know. It, 
Not at all. Okay. <laughs> That's Gary Wotasek. He's president and CEO of Cyrus One. And look, at least we solved one issue, which is as underpenetrated as the United States, it's far less penetrated in China. Their money's back here to the break. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> If you're just joining us, the theme of tonight is, has the brutal rotation out of big tech finally run its course? Remember, the Senate's passage of the tax bill totally changed the face of this market. Suddenly, all sorts of domestically oriented companies, a lot of ho-hummers, frankly, are almost certain to have some dramatic earnings growth next year, courtesy of a much lower tax rate. And if money managers want to buy those stocks, they need to sell something else because they don't have new money coming in. That's why they've been dumping technology names. Very convenient. They're up a lot, particularly the ones with lots of international exposure that will see less of a benefit from the tax cut. This is one of those issues that has much less to do with the fundamentals of individual companies and much more to do with the mechanics of the money management business. And when the fundamentals don't tell you enough, it always helps to consult, yes, the technicals. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Broden. She's a brilliant technician who runs the FibonaciQueen.com website. Also happens to be one of my colleagues at realmoney.com, the paid site for the street.com, to get a better sense of what's happening to some of our favorite tech stocks. Specifically, we're going to drill down into the action in the now despised and left for dead roadkill that are Facebook, Apple, and Netflix. The big question, when we look back on this moment a year from now, will the pullbacks in these stocks look like fabulous buying opportunities or have they reached an important near-term high? meaning we should expect lower prices going forward, which, by the way, I now think is the perceived and general wisdom. Where does Broden come down on all this? First of all, before we even get into the impact of tax reform, she says this tax sell-off is exactly what we should have expected. Why? Because as she's observed for many years, many market moves tend to to terminate around what are known as Fibonacci price extensions of prior swings. Remember methodology. There's a reason we call her the Fibonacci queen. About 800 years ago, a very smart Italian guy named Leonardo Fibonacci discovered a series of ratios that repeat themselves over and over again in nature. I know it's strange. It's stranger things. You see them in uh, small shells, uh, pine cones, flowers. The list is practically endless. But for some bizarre reason, they also show up in the stock charts. And they do. How's it work? Broden looks at a past swing in a stock or an index, then she runs it through the prism of these Fibonacci ratios. When you hear about people talking about 23.6% retracement or 38.2% retracement, this is what they're referring to. The results give her a series of important levels where a stock is likely to change its trajectory. Again, we really don't kind of know how it works. I know it sounds like pseudoscience, kind of stock market astrology or alchemy, but the fact is it does work. So what does it all have to do with the stocks of Facebook, Apple, and Netflix? Simple. Broden points out that all three of them recently met important Fibonacci extensions of prior swings, meaning they replicated an entire previous move and then ran up another 27.2% or 61.8% of that move. Whatever that happens, whenever, she takes it as a sign to get more cautious because rallies often terminate or at least go into hibernation at these levels. So what can we learn from their charts now that the pullback has arrived after the so-called hibernation? Okay, let's start with the weekly chart of, the, of one of the most despised stocks in the market now, Netflix. First of all, when Netflix dipped to 178 yesterday in intraday trading, which was a, just a gasping moment, it's got a floor support there, and the stock quickly rebounded, and it's now back at 184. Second, and more important, Broden likes the stock's recent decline. So, likes that the stock's recent decline is very similar to the last two major pullbacks there and there. Okay, or these. When Netflix got hit around August and September, so here we are. 
Uh, the stock lost $26. And the previous decline in the spring and summer of last year also lasted for $27. Last week's decline was $26. So if the pattern holds, it could already be over. Now, in the past, those $26 and $27 declines were followed by much larger rallies, both in excess of 40 points before the moves ran out of steam. Of course, that doesn't mean it will happen again. But it certainly gives Broden confidence that the uptrend here is intact. And as long as the floor of 177 to 178 holds, she thinks this thing could run to 211. However, if Netflix does start falling again and breaks down below the floor of support, the next one's at 167, 168. That's the level to watch if the big tech sell-off picks up again. All right, how about the weekly chart of another totally, again, despise? I mean, how many times can you despise a stock? You could despise it here, despise it here, despise it here. Well, now they got a new despicable level. Okay. Uh, just, just like with Netflix, Broden says this is kind of a garden variety pullback. She is not putting a lot of emphasis on it. Apple hit the 161.8% Fibonacci extension of its previous swing, and then the stock started coming down. That's exactly what her methodology predicted. And Broden will still like the look of this chart, even if the, if the decline continues. As long as the stock stays above 149 where it bottomed intraday back in late September. But she doubts things are going to get that out of hand. When you look at Apple's latest pullbacks, the most recent couple of them lasted for around 14 bucks. Again, I mean, you can't, you know, 14, 14. All right, 15. It's not exactly 14. But that happens again, it takes the stock down to 160. However, Apple has many forces of support between where it is now, just under 170, and that potential downside target. There's the floor at 166 to 167. Another floor at 164 to 165. And there's one 159 and 161. That's a lot of areas where things could turn again, and the stock's rallied slightly today, so it's possible that the pain is already over. Remember, she's clinical about this. She's not saying, wow, ooh, I'm worried about the 10. She's worried about the chart. Next, there's the weekly chart of the most perhaps despised of all, Facebook. I mean, how many times are it's rolling over? It's rolling over. Hey, have you seen Facebook's rolling It's rolling over. Anyway, again, as we saw with the others, Facebook recently hit an important upside Fibonacci extension uh, at 184 and change. Stock peaked 15 cents above that level. It did exactly what it's supposed to do. Again, we don't know why this stuff works. It's almost creepy, like how it really does, isn't it? So let's look at Facebook through the same filter as Netflix and Apple. The stock's past declines have typically lasted for 10 or 11 bucks. It's now down more than $10 from where it was trading a week ago. If this is going to be another garden variety pullback, is what she thinks, then today's rally could have the beginning of some legs. But if it's the start of something much worse, we need to look for the important zones of support that Facebook's likely to rebound from down the line. Just like Apple and Netflix, Facebook's got a lot of support here, and we like that. 169, 170, another 162, 166, third floor, 157. As long as the price holds above one of these floors, even the lowest one, Broden's optimistic. Now, remember, when it was up here, no, she felt it was going to do this, okay? So it's not like she's come in and just been a permable. The opposite, the bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Carolyn Broden suggest that the recent declines in Netflix, in Apple, and in Facebook are really nothing to get too worked up about. As she sees it, they're garden variety pullbacks like you often get within a broader uptrend. My view, these tech titans may not be in the sweet spot to benefit the most from tax reform, but they're still fabulous companies. I use any further weakness to gradually buy some more on the way down, even as they've been thrown away as if they were never worth anything to begin with. Stephen in Florida. Stephen. Hey, Jim. I would like to ask your opinion on Take Two Interactive and if EA and the virtual currency backlash from Battlefront has changed Wall Street's view of the industry. 
Well, look, we like all three of these. I know they've been under tremendous pressure, and a lot of people feel they're done, too. I say au contraire. I think that Strauss Zelnick has built a great business. I know the chart looks bad. Strauss is not looking at the chart. He's looking at the business. It's darn good. Chuck in Arizona. Chuck. Oh, yes. Hi. Uh, I was wondering about a company called Celestica, CLS. Uh, not one is of my favorites. time to buy candidly. or should I clear the screen? No, 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 no. I mean, here's what we're doing. Design manufacturing. I mean, J-Bill's better than they are. We, if you have one of these declines in technology, you go for the best. The ones that are tried and true. Don't go for the tertiary. Those are the ones that come back and bite you. And Celestica, that is in the um, fifth quadrant. Think about that. All right, have no fear. The declines in Netflix, Apple, and Facebook aren't anything to get worked up about. These are still fabulous companies, and I think you should use the weakness to gradually buy some if you don't own any of them. Much more man money ahead, including my exclusive with a company that's up over 60% since coming public in March, and we're the only ones talking about it. Can the move in Alderix continue? You ever heard of it? We've been recommending it. I'm sitting down with the CEO. Then the tech stocks are falling. Tech stocks are falling. So what should you do with the group going forward? I'll reveal even again what to do. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. You saw the animation. That means it's time for a Faber report. Okay, let's sure, bring sure. it to you. It involves, sure, sure. let's do it again. You know, you can never have enough Faber report animation. I, agree. I think, you know, we know. It's like Cowbell. You can never have enough. Right. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. weeks ago, I got a call from Chris in Connecticut about Alterix, and the symbol there is AYX. It's the provider of self-service data analytics software. Basically, they're all about simplifying the data analytics process, making it more accessible to you. I recommended the stock back at the end of March, shortly after it came public. Since then, it's given us a monster 65% gain. But even in the wake of that remarkable move, I told Chris to let the position run. I just hear nothing but great things about this company. Well, word got back to Alderix, and they asked to come on the show. What can I say? We're all ears, especially when a company's given us such phenomenal gains. So let's check in with Dean Stoker. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Alderix to learn more about his company as prospects. Mr. Stoker, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Honored that you're here. Thanks for having me. All right, Dean, let me just uh, – there's a phrase that you used, and I thought it was so exciting. Code-free analytics – for the citizen data scientist. Correct. I love that. Well, our platform is code-free for the citizen data scientist and code-friendly for the quants around the world. So we deal with both audiences in a significant way. Now, you deal with everyone. I have never seen anyone be as agnostic as you. Why is everyone willing to work with you and other guys don't say, hey, you're with Salesforce, I'm not touching you? Well, we're agnostic to the persistence layers at okay. the beginning of the, the right. analytic journey. And we're agnostic to the consumption layers in analytics at the end of the journey. So almost all of the data vendors love the fact that they can ingest or that we can ingest data into the Alteryx in-memory platform and that we can push out analytics into almost any pane of glass, whether it's Tableau dashboards or Power BI or PDFs or uh, machine learning models back onto Salesforce.com. Well, let's go back to this Tableau data. The first thing when I read and I say, well, wait a second. Tableau Data does the same thing. No, they're your partner. They are our partner, a great partner and a customer. In fact, one of the great things about Tableau is many customers love that experience of being yeah. in visual dashboards. 
but there are way more panes of glass than visual uh, uh, reporting. And so the majority of our customers actually write out to other panes of glass, out to okay. SharePoint, into PDFs, right. into Word documents. Well, you've got an incredible client list, and I, I mean, I could, you, you've announced these, so it's not a secret, but J.P. Morgan, Ford, Walmart, Target, Coca-Cola, J&J. What would you be doing for one of these? Let's say I'm at J&J, which is a company we absolutely love. We have Alex Gorski on. What would I want to see from Alteryx? Well, we cover off on a very broad swath of analytic use cases within an enterprise. First of all, it's a horizontal platform, so we, we have no concentration really in any vertical uh, around the world. Okay, very important. But most importantly, the footprint of, of analysts or citizen data scientists in the enterprises is very broad across almost every use case from HR to, to supply chain to omni-channel analytics, uh, sales ops, uh, FP&A. We have not yet seen a, a flattening of our S-curve in our, in our net retention numbers. Okay. And that's because we see 30 million citizen data scientists around the world who want, want to get their lives back. Well, one of the things that I, you have, I, I sometimes these numbers just glaze over people. I won't let this one. 52% growth. But you're not a new company. You've been around. We have been around. <clears throat> we were not uh, one of those overnight successes. What? Um, we didn't actually raise any money for 14 years. We were self-funded for 14 years uh, based out of Irvine, California. The, uh, the thought of risking uh, our founders' uh, money was tough enough. The, the thought of risking investors' money was untenable. So we went as long as we could to get to the point where the self-service data analytics market opened up as wide as it possibly could. And we decided to raise $163 million in three rounds over four years and then took the company public uh, March of this year. Well, we loved it immediately, but one of the things that we were really gripped with was the total addressable market versus the market cap. It's too small versus what you can accomplish. Well, this is a $28 billion addressable market. Yeah. It, it is a massive market. It's grown every year for the last four years. Uh, I think that people are realizing that we're, we're living in this, this data deluge and they're trying to get value in analytics out, out of that data. And uh, our platform is the, the platform that it allows people to prosecute analytics and turn every data worker into a discoverer of marginal profitability well, for the I, enterprise. I think you also have to highlight for us, because people don't get this, how long it took before and how long it takes now with you. Yeah, so the analytic process in, in enterprises has been completely broken. Um, Think about where the context around a business question exists. Right, okay. uh, how do I optimize my retail shelf set to improve same-store sales? Okay. How do I mitigate churn in my wireless contracting business? Right. How do I eliminate risk in my underwriting practice? What, what has happened without Alteryx is people go to IT and they have to stand up teams of ETL experts and data munging experts right, right. And, and analytic experts, all with dis disparate tools and technologies. And in six months after a statement of work, a requirements document, a technical specification and waterfall development, you finally get the answer to the question that you forgot why you asked. And so what we've done is we've put the thrill back into problem solving. We, we've, we've taken these analysts who have resorted to uh, spreadsheet hell, and, and we've, we've, uh, we've, we've made it so that we've gone from the end of their rope to the edge of their seat right. so that they, they could actually drive value for enterprises oh, around the okay, world. Okay, so when I was going, when I was at Goldman, I was a hedge fund, we just looked at Excel, and we did these... Uh, that's not enough anymore, right? No, we're living in a, in a big data world where our customers are seeing 
billions of rows across disparate data sources and, and Excel, what's it got, a million row uh, limit. <laughs> right. And people are living in complex VLOOKUPs and if they can get over the metaphor shift of rows and columns and embedded yeah. formulas to a drag and drop user interface, it's all over with. And well, that's why we see such expansion in our business. I am so glad you're on. Ever since I recommended you, I have hedge fund managers say, how do you know how do you I said, no, it's too cheap. It's too cheap as a market cap. Now, people might say, well, what, not make money, but it's the market cap that matters to me versus the opportunity. You're way too low. That's Dean Stoker, chairman and CEO of Alteryx. You've got to look into this company. It's got all the things that we like on Mad Money. We're back after the break. It is time to for the light rail. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the light round. Clears my mind. Start with Josh in Pennsylvania. Josh. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Love your show. Thank you. Anyway, I bought I bought Snoko back in January at twenty five dollars, and now I'm wondering whether I should buy more. Uh, no, I don't want you to buy more, but you know, because I think that yield may be unsustainable. We got to do some work on that. But I think that your initial impression is correct that there is some value there. I'm gonna go to Travis in Washington. Travis. Booyah from our nation's capital, Kramer. Done your way. What's up? The, the stock is Cypress Semiconductor You know, I've got about a half dozen people on Twitter at Jim Kramer keep telling me to pound this table in the stock. I think it's inexpensive. What more can I do? Let's go to uh, Lewis in Texas. Lewis. Yeah, Jim. How are you doing? I am good, thank you. I'm calling about Trivago. No, I want November. you to stay away from Trivago. I think this whole group, even though I like the I, the concept of Priceline, Expedia, and, uh, and also Travelocity, this group is headed lower. And I am very, very, uh, let's say, certain that they're not done going down yet. So let's wait. Uh, let's go to Jeremy in North Carolina. Jeremy. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Hey, it's been a crazy month for Mattel with tons of rumors. Unless Hasbro uh, buys them, you're going to be in a house of pain. I don't want you in the house of pain. I prefer you to have this address. Let's go to Dave in Missouri. Dave. Yeah, is this Jim? Yeah. Yeah, Jim. I'm a, I'm the lumber liquidator guy that, that uh, I bought some okay. stock in. I've been in the industry for 50 years, believe it or not, and always on the manufacturing level and the wholesale level. And carpeting used to be the big deal. And okay. over the past 20 years, it's it's switching to hard surface. It's yes. laminates, it's, it's uh, hardwood flooring, ceramic tile, all those sorts of products. Okay. So for that reason, I bought some lumber liquidators. Well, it I makes sense to buy lumber be- liquidators. That is the strongest part of what Home Depot talked about. Home Depot's got an analyst spinning, though I'd rather see you in Home Depot. Let's go to Gary in New York. Gary. Jim, how are you? Glad I'm good, Gary. You. How about you? Thanks for taking my call. Of course. One of my favorite stocks this year, Universal Display. All right, OLED is one of my favorites. I've been recommending it for 90 points. I want it to come down. You will not get a turn in OLED before you get a turn in Facebook, in Amazon, in Netflix, and in Apple. So you wait. Let's go to David in Texas. David. Booyah from Lone Star State. Okay. Tell me about Magellan Midstream Partners. I think it's insanely valued. My travel trust has been buying it right here. It is ridiculous. Yields five and a half. Everybody needs oil pipe from the Permian. They've got it. But you know what? I'm a lonely voice in the wilderness. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. (laughs) 
Why didn't I abandon the tech stocks yesterday when sell, everyone sell, sell, else sell, was sell, telling sell, you sell, to sell, dump sell. them? One word. It's one you usually don't associate with tech. Valuation. Hey, let's go there. Undervaluation. When you look at them rigorously, the tech stocks I like are surprisingly cheap on the out years, especially compared to the consumer packaged good names that everybody's huddled in, hiding in, loves so much. Now, that may surprise you, but in the end, valuing stocks is either totally straightforward or totally mystifying, one or the other. For a certain group of stocks, it's much more of an art than a science. If you're trying to figure out the value of Netflix, which barely has any earnings, you're hostage to the total addressable market, or TAM, for Internet entertainment around the world. Without that kind of thinking, no one would ever believe it was reasonable for Netflix, the company, to be worth almost four times as much as CBS. Similarly, with companies like Amazon and Tesla, you either believe in Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, or you don't. It's your call. I think Amazon has a tremendous amount of worth, both the retail business and the cloud business, also known as Amazon Web Services. Now, I can see the first being worth $750 billion, the second being worth $250 billion, which means the stock could double from these levels at a certain point. Now, when you think of it like that, it's easy to view the recent sell-off as a long-term buying opportunity rather than a reason to panic, even as I think that people chose panic over common sense and wisdom. Tesla, okay, totally, total beauty in the eye of the beholder. Uh, but both because it has no earnings and because it has an inconsistent track record. But to Elon Musk's acolytes who view Tesla as a tech stock, not an automaker, valuation is justified, or at least they can rationalize it. Sometimes, though, valuation is just very straightforward. It just seems confusing because of some widespread but mistaken perceptions. So let's take Colgate. We all know what that is. It's a totally respectable brand, well-owned company. That's why, despite its 7% growth rate, 7, Colgate trades at 24 times next year's earnings estimates. May pay to write these down, 7.24. The price-to-earnings multiple is the single best way to compare stocks on an apples-to-apples basis. And I don't mean this kind of apple, but I'll just, you know, it's a little metaphorical. Clorox, another completely respectable brand, right, sold bleach for more than a century, also trades at 24 times earnings. It's got a 5% growth rate. I don't know a soul who says Clorox has a nosebleed valuation, so look out below. You ever hear that associated with Clorox? I haven't. We all accept these valuations in the consumer packaged goods space despite uninspiring growth rates and now meager dividends because the stocks have run so much. That's pure prejudice. It's stereotyping, plain and simple. No one ever thinks of these, supers, of these stocks as being super expensive or dangerous because they're supposed to be the very definition of low-risk, sleep-at-night safety stocks. By the same token... What do we routinely regard as expensive even when they're not? What have we decided is going to just get crushed in 2018, if not the last month of the year? Stocks like Apple, Alphabet, and Facebook, which last I looked have much bigger total addressable markets than any of the consumer packaged goods plays and much faster growth. So let's perform the same exact exercise. Let's go to school. Apple's got a huge upgrade cycle that some are predicting could drive its growth rate up 25%. Let's say that's nonsense. Let's be conservative. Let's cut it in half, 12.5%. Totally arbitrary. Where's Apple trading? It sells for just 14 times earnings. And that's before you back out the huge pile of cash on its balance sheet. So even being very cautious with the numbers, I mean, ridiculously so, right? I cut the estimates in half. Apple's going twice as fast as Clark's or Colgate. Yet its stock trades at a monster discount to their safe stocks. How about Alphabet? 
right, here's a company with a 17%, 17% growth rate that sells at 24 times earnings. That's three times the growth rate of Clorox or Colgate with roughly the same price to earnings multiple, ridiculously cheap. You know, you got advertising, you got cloud, you got YouTube. When I look at Facebook, I like to examine the so-called out years because that has historically been the best judge of how it's been doing. And when you look out to the 2019 estimates, which won't be that far away in another month, Facebook's trading at 21 times earnings, 21% growth rate. Wow. That's why I think it's nuts that these stocks sold off so hard in the last couple of days, along with some less attractive commodity tech like the makers of disk drives or flash memory. People love to claim that Facebook or Alphabet or Apple have gotten so expensive that you can't possibly own them. But when you actually do the exercises I do and you get all arithmetic, it's not even mathematical, you don't get that conclusion. Yep, tech's much cheaper than you think. It just doesn't usually get explained in comparison to what's really expensive that we all hold so dear. And exactly what should happen when it's been crushed, as has been the case these last few weeks. Stick with those. Stick with Kramer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day, clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.